0: We're going to open in
1: prayer and then we're going to have a little whacked out simple stuff in a moment. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this place. You've given us so much. Thank you for the one who had it in their heart today to be here. Maybe invited somebody along, set apart the time in their schedule, set aside something else they maybe needed to do.
2: Lord, we praise you for servants who want
1: to be found patient. Father, we pray for those who couldn't be here today. I pray for Dominic right now. He's in a tough spot. pray you comfort his soul. Help him do the things that he needs to do. I pray for healing for those who are hurting. I ask you, Lord, to intervene on their behalf. I pray for Aaron and Caitlin. They're both homesick. We just pray, Lord, that you comfort them and make them healthy very quickly. Caitlin got, got it to work. And now it works without her, And her boss has it too. And so that property's going to be struggling the next couple days Lord, We pray that you'll take care of it all.
0: We
1: pray for wisdom to make right decisions. We've got a lot of folks who have big decisions on the horizon to figure out exactly what they're supposed to do. We pray, Lord, that you'll give wisdom. Pray you'll lead us and guide us through this service. We know you want to. So we pray your will be done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a short video.
0: Just minimize the PowerPoint. Mm-hmm. No, it's false.
3: lavatories. laboratories. He hates all authority. Hold hey, oh along. No. Sweetie, eat these cookies. Oh. Tea is the most rebellious tea alive. Hey, sir, would you please follow me? You are not the boss of me. Oh, uh, um. Out of control. He does what no one else does.
2: Are you actually reading the terms and conditions? No one reads those.
3: I know. Why do you think they call me Super Rebel? Okay. Cash me outside. How about that? Come on man, sounds bone. Sound at your face. Excuse me? Sasha, a super rebel mercy, sir. don't tell me what to do because everyone else is a big fat stupid head look both ways man you look no. way. he doesn't look both ways before crossing the street nothing can stop him
0: he's super rebel and he's gonna rock your world no i'm not <laughs> he is super rebel So,
1: obviously Super Rebel is a joke, and we know that guy didn't actually wind up in the hospital, that's just a fun video, okay? But we have to ask ourselves, because we answer to God, and really God alone, he's the only one who's really in charge of us, right? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then he is Lord, that means he tells you what to do, and you do it, and you really only answer to God, does that mean we can be a rebel to everyone else? That means if, for example, your teacher is wrong, or your parents are wrong, or the police officer is mean, or says something you don't like, or whatever, then you can be a rebel. And the answer is no. That's not true. In fact, this is what God says about it in uh, through Paul in the book of Romans, the first step, uh, chapter thirteen, verse one says, "Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God." And those who exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. I understand there's at least three big words in there. The first one's a phrase, governing authorities. That means somebody that's in charge of you. Okay? So when you're in school, that's your teachers. When you're on the street when a police officer, that's a police officer. Right? Okay, back there. Okay. Governing authorities means somebody that's in charge of. So here, in the church, right, in the church, that's the uh, leaders of the church that the church has put in charge. So the, the student teachers and the student teaching class, preschool nursery leaders, preschool nursery class, me right now, right, because I am, I'm speaking on the of God and I'm assigned, if you will, to do this job. Those are the assigned authorities, governing authorities. Now, really, he was talking about The governing authorities meaning the law or the government, right? The governors, police, soldiers, things like that. But that principle applies to anybody who has been given authority over you. And it's because it's an ordinance of God. It means God ordered it. Don't get confused about ordinance, right? When something is an ordinance, that means it was ordered. Okay, so it was ordered by God If something was ordered by God and you resist it You're not resisting the person that's trying to do it. You're actually resisting God, right? So if, if God tells me what to do and says Dan go tell Ariana this and I come and I tell you if you resist what I'm saying You're not actually resisting me. You're actually resisting God because God's the one who told me to do it, right? And so it's an ordinance of God to follow the authorities that are put over us means it's an order. God has given us an order to follow those authorities. And then the last part says, if you don't follow those authorities, if you resist those authorities, you receive condemnation. Now, condemnation is a big word that means judging. If you God be judging, what you be doing? Are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? I'm talking about listening to me. You should be listening to me right now. Okay. So, God will say, that's not right. God says, now, do this. And he asks, Pastor Dan, tell him, tell Bub do this. And I tell Bub do this and you ignore me. And God says, Bub, I told Pastor Dan that. Now you've got a problem. Because you got a problem. It's like if your dad or your mom sent one of your siblings to tell you what to do, and you know it was from your dad or your mom and you ignored what they said, your sibling is not the one that's going to be punished, right? It's you because you didn't follow the directions that were given you through your sibling. But they were given to you from your parents, right? If you're in the class and the teacher says, you know, here's a student teacher just helping us out for right now. She said student teacher's in charge. Not going to run to the office. They leave the student teacher in charge of you, even though that's not the paid teacher of the school. But if they leave the student teacher in charge, and you act up while the teacher's gone, when the teacher comes back, you're going to be in trouble because the teacher put the student teacher in charge, and that's the way it works. So God orders who's in charge, whoever's in charge, right? And that means even if they're not good at their job. Right? Even if they're telling you something you don't like to hear, there is one exception. Do you know what that exception is? You do if you think about it. It is if they are telling you to do something that God would tell you not to do. Right. So they're giving you the opposite direction from what God says. So God ordered them to be the governing authority, and then they tell you to do something other than what God wants you to do. Then you can ignore what they say. And other than that, you can't. You have to follow directions. You have to obey because God says so. And if you don't, you won't answer to the... People think, well, we will answer to the police. What's the police going to do to me? Right? I'm going to get put in jail. Big deal. I don't care if I go to jail. Listen, you don't answer to the police in this life. You don't answer to the governor. You will go to jail. You will get arrested. You might get slapped in handcuffs. All that might happen. But you'll answer to God. And it's a lot more fearful thing to answer to God than it is to answer to a human being. Right? Don't fear the one who can maybe kill your body. But if you're the one who can deal with your soul. So we follow God's orders, and that means we follow God's authorities. Okay? All right, very good. So because he's that kind of a God, and he's done that, he's given us those authorities, because he is a God of grace, he loves us, and sent his own son to die for us so we could be saved. Because of all that, we praise him. And we're going to praise him together one more song before we let the kids go. Ah.
0: Alright, if you would stand with us, the words are up there, it's a very simple song to sing along with, here we go.
1: this I do want to remind folks this is a brief announcement that uh, Saturday from 2 to 6 is the love your neighbor day and we are uh, doing projects uh, in and around the building as well as working in the neighborhood and so if you would um, be willing to, to kind of like give your time and serve uh, that's 2 to 6 on Saturday and I think there'll be opportunities even before that but 2 to 6 p.m. Saturday and we're lining up jobs in the building, around the building, and also we'll have folks actually in the neighborhood trying to uh, line up jobs at houses, okay? All right, so on this. So this is a lesson that I have taught before. It's been years, um, but I didn't have the one that I taught last time, so I rewrote this. Um, and it's based on a lesson from what's called the Minerth Meyer Clinical uh, Bible Study Guide, which is basically about difficulties you might face in your life. Okay, so this is a, what's called a health study. We're going to talk about depression, and we're going to talk about how one recovers from depression. Alright, so this, we're going to go through this top part pretty fast. Okay, and then you'll notice that the, the bottom little bit of this page and uh, all the back page is kind of like for you to write in and fill things in. You take notes or underline anywhere you want. So being, being depressed just means you feel yucky, you feel sad, right? Depressed feelings can lead to what's called a medical or chemical depression uh, and that's dangerous. So if you think you have a medical or chemical depression, see a doctor, see a counselor, go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist or whatever, get the help that you need. However, depression is actually a fact, is is a sign that there are other problems in a person's life. So even when you go to the doctor, see a counselor, psychiatrist, whatever, you're going to work on where those emotions are coming from. Typically It means that you have emotions that are not being expressed in a healthy way. So people who have anger, and we talked about this when we talked about anger a couple weeks ago, that they direct inward or they block doing that in a healthy way, they don't express that anger in a healthy way, wind up depressed. It can be anything. Uh, It can be um, exaggerated anxiety, like you get really afraid of talking in front of people, or you get really afraid that the bills aren't going to get paid. Right and that that you don't know what to do with that and that can lead to depression feelings of guilt I did something to hurt somebody or I stole something. I shouldn't have or whatever feelings of guilt the, God does not use guilt on people. God uses conviction So you make things better, but the enemy loves to use guilt and the world system is all about guilt So moms will make their kids feel guilty to get them to do what they want them to do For example, even though that's not a good thing to do to your kid And so you have ongoing guilt feelings that can equal depression a loss of self worth, as well as any other emotional pain that is not handled in a positive way. Okay? So, careful and possibly extensive counseling is needed to deal with unresolved emotions that have been turned inward once it's out of control. Okay? So, when you know what you're doing, you're turning it in on yourself, realize you're, t- you're going to go to a place of depression, and that's not what you want. So, better you learn to deal with it constructively. If you realize over the last five years you've been doing that to yourself, if you can arrest it tonight, great. If you can't, seek help. Okay? And um, get the help that you need to get past it. <clears throat> Basically, experts believe anger is probably the number one cause. Okay? So you, wherever you read, you're going to find that they think anger turned inward is the number one cause of depression. Then when people start to get over it, now this is the good news. So you got depression, people start to get over it. The first step is always to commit to action. That's why... Going to counseling appointments once a week, right? Or changing your diet, changing your sleep habits. The first thing I do is commit. start with some kind of commitment to action. That's always the first and necessary part of recovery. Why? Because depressed people feel like they really can't do anything. When I was depressed back in 2001, I remember having feelings where I was sitting on the couch and I would look at my arm and I would will my arm to move, to, to reach for my drink, and I and it would not move. Like I would go, I'm gonna get my drink now, and it, and I would go, oh, nothing's happening, right? And it, and a few seconds later, then, then I would get moving. It just it was like getting started was hard, and that's it. So that first commitment to action is always necessary. Uh, actions taken to revitalize one's spirit life is always a good first step. So if you can't you can't like go see a counselor, think about what it is that you're supposed to be if you're a Christian. Think about what it is that you're supposed to be doing in God. I'm supposed to be reading my Bible, so make a commitment to read your Bible in an orderly fashion. Or I'm supposed to be praying. I know I'm not doing that enough. Plan to pray. Remember, those are the spiritual disciplines that we talk about. Committing yourself to take steps in those areas, again, would be that first action step. There's a thing called the therapy of thanksgiving. You can sit down and make a list of all the things that you're grateful for. And thinking about what you're grateful for will increase the serotonin, the the endorphins and positive endorphins in your brain, not just serotonin, but others that are in your brain. And you'll go like, oh, I feel better. You ever sit and reminisce, like you haven't seen somebody for a while, or you haven't really had a good conversation with them for a while, and you sit and talk to them. Remember when we did this? Remember when we did that? Remember when we went to, you know, we went to camp, or we went to, you know, we went canoeing, or remember when Sally fell off the boat? Or you know, you talk about and you laugh and you feel. That's what that's all about. So you're releasing those positive chemicals by having positive emotions about things that already happened in the past. So you can do therapy for yourself by counting your blessings and thinking about what's good in your life. Now another action step involves committing to a physical exercise plan. Some part of depression is about your body's ability to produce the chemicals that it needs to produce. And when you exercise, your body will do that. So you'll notice that people who are depressed oftentimes do not have a good exercise plan. It could be because they have health concerns that are stopping them from doing that or whatever. Right? They, you'll even find, for example, that there are folks who are struggling with depression who will like, they'll say things like, well, I need to lose weight. So they'll eat an atrociously small amount, like really, really little, trying to lose weight. And they don't lose any weight. Now, not they don't increase their exercise plan at the same time. Right. And the best way to do something like that would always be to increase your exercise plan and keep your food consumption at a reasonable level. Right. So you always want to kind of balance but have more exercise than food consumption. That's how you lose weight. If you if this is your food consumption and you drop your exercise down here, you gain weight. If it's right here even, you maintain weight. And if it's barely above, you lose weight. But if it's exercise is way above, you don't lose weight. Your body goes into starvation mode and you don't lose weight. So the bottom line is. Committing to a healthy exercise plan produces the endorphins that are lacking in a depressed person. You can eat chocolate or you can do push-ups. And people are like, well, i don't to do push-ups, right? Or you, you can just sit in a chair and move your leg up and down. You don't have to get up. You don't need cardio. Exercise produces endorphins. You do whatever you can do and do a lot of it slow, easy, but continuous exercise. And you, pretty soon you'll, it'll click and your brain will start to produce those endorphins and you'll feel better. And it's got to be systematic. So it's a plan, and then you choose the plan. It's also important to build a relational life. Get out, meet people, talk, share and develop friendships. Living alone, and this is not figurative language, living alone is depressing. Science proves it, sociology proves it, psychology proves it. If you isolate from the people who want what's good for you or even from your enemies, if you have no friends, you can go like, I want to hang out with my friends. If you can't think of anybody you'd hang out from, if you then don't hang out with anybody because you're moving away from certain people because they're basically enemies or they treat you bad, that's depressing. You're, you will build depression in yourself and you'll get clinical depression and then you'll have to have extra help to, to try to get out of it, Okay. Finally, a lifestyle of ministry helps in the recovery process. Serve other people at a practical level at least once a week. Uh, This doesn't count your kids. So if you're a parent, that's a responsibility. That's not ministry. Ministry is serving somebody that that is outside your family or somebody that you wouldn't normally serve or things like that. So you can serve your husband. That's great. You should do that. Serve your wife. That's great. You should do that. Serve your kids. You should do that. But that doesn't count for this. This is somebody that that has a practical need that you can meet that's outside your responsibilities. And try to do it, and science shows weekly, you can do it more than once, but if you try to do it like five times a week, you might burn out, then you'll stop. But if you can make sure that you're doing it at least once a week, that's a key to overcoming depression, or rising up out of depression. Depressed people have a tendency to uh, self-preoccupation. So basically, they find something to keep themselves busy. Play games, watch your phone, watch TV, stream, those all whatever, they'll find something to keep themselves occupied. And what that does is it keeps their mind off the fact that their mind is lacking something. Right? And that that's tendency to self-preoccupation is gradually refocused with the proper input. So as you're hanging around the right people, people are talking to you. As you're in church, you're studying, you are getting the Bible in you, whatever. It's a really cool recent study, if anybody wants to look it up, about what happens if you read your Bible three times a week for, I think it's three weeks. It's a very short period of time. You just block out time to read your Bible. And by the way, I, the study was done with reading, not listening, right? But, um, you got one? Okay. All right. Anyway, so... Um, Joy and perspective returns as depressed individuals receive help and understanding their emotions so they know where they're at and why they're there. Accepting their own worth, they realize they have great value. Every human being has great value more than any dollar amount, more than any wealth, more than anything in this lifetime. A human's worth is way above anything, okay? Anything but God. And then see that God is expressing his love through them as they outreach to others in need. So you're going to remember that when you're doing that service, you're thinking about this is God. Remember right? the ordinance of God? If God ordered you to serve people, does anybody think God ordered you to serve people? It's there, right? A new command I give you, love one another, right? Serve. So God ordered us. To serve. So if God ordered us to serve people, then when we're serving people, we're carrying out his order, right? And that means that we are his outreaching to other people. Okay, now we're going to look at some scripture. So if you brought your Bible, here we go. Anybody want to read Psalm 42, verses 3 to 4?
2: Thank you,
1: Jesus. Praise the Lord! Psalm 42. Are you going to get there, Tone You volunteered. Yes, you did. And if somebody else wants to get ready, because we're going to read 5 and 6 next. This is the this is participation. Participation. Forty
2: two. Three four. My tears have been food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I fought my soul. I used to go with the multitude leading a procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving and one with festive throne.
1: Okay. So the question is, what is the psalmist, the person who wrote this psalm, what is their emotional state?
2: Pretty
1: (laughs) sad. Pretty sad, that's right. Amen, so that sounds like sad, or you could say depressed, right? Not clinically depressed necessarily, but depressed. Now, you don't have to answer this question out loud if you don't want to, but realistically, have you ever been there? I have. I have been clinically depressed and didn't realize it, and it took a little bit. Okay? I, in fact, I told my doctor, no, I can't be depressed. That's not possible. Right? So it, it does happen. But even depression can happen for an hour. It can happen for six hours. It, it can happen for a week. Right? If act, the, the standard is if it lasts for more than a week, you need clinical help of some kind typically. That's they'll ask you, have you been depressed for a week? And then you're in the doctor's care trying to get over it. Okay, so what were the circumstances when it happened to you? Think about those circumstances. Not his circumstances. He was isolated, right? It says, I used to go, that's what the verse said, I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. He doesn't do that anymore. So he isolated himself. He's withdrawn, right? He's crying, People are saying to him all day long, where is your God? So he's challenged in his faith he wants to believe. Right? What were your what were your circumstances when you were depressed? You don't know, have to share them with us, just think about it for a moment. Okay, let's look at 42, 5, and 6. You got that RJ? you read 5 and 6? Yeah. Alright, go.
3: Cool. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Open God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of
1: Hermon from Mount
3: Mizar.
1: Yep. Okay. So now our question is: How is the psalmist turning his feelings into words? And there's a clue. He's verbalizing by talking out his feelings to who? Is he? Why are you in despair, oh my soul? He's talking to, he's talking to his soul, in this case, right? He's talking to his soul. How is the psalmist turning his feelings into words? He's talking to his soul. And to, and now, 6 says, oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. So now he's talking to God, right? So he starts by talking to his soul in 5. And then God in 6. Okay? So because we are reading his words, we can assume he also did what? It's a no-brainer. If we're reading it, he must have he not only said it, but he also wrote it. right? If he didn't write it, if he's, if he's talking to God in his soul, who else knows what he's saying? So, some, so he probably wrote it down as he was doing it, and which is a good thing to do. We talked about that during the anger management training. Okay. Now we're going to First Peter one. So go to the right. That's in the back in the teeny teeny books. First Peter one. We're doing good. Anybody got it? Josh.
2: redeemed with perishable things like
3: silver or gold from your futile way of
2: life inherited from their forefathers but with precious blood as of a, blood, a lamb unblemished and spotless the blood of Christ
1: okay so from these verses how can you determine your true personal worth to God that's the question what do these verses tell us about our worth to God Basically, think, man? What do those verses say about our worth to God? Shrug.
2: Well, um, when God paid for it, he didn't pay like out of anything that um, that fades away, all this other stuff. It, it, it's it's cool and, it, you know, it's it's part of us, but God could have paid His blood, his precious blood,
0: mm-hmm.
2: because he wanted it wanted, out. Uh, I would say, I don't want to say want us, but because I would say he was being obedient to himself, but to that us so paid the price for that.
1: Good. So he paid the most precious thing of all. thing, Mm-hmm, everlasting. We okay. got anything to add? Okay, First Kings 19.4. We got it? Tommy, got it? Almost.
3: But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked himself to die. And uh, Enough, Lord, now enough, now Lord, take my life for I am no better than my forefathers.
1: Okay. So what or which symptoms of depression can you identify right now? In This is Elijah speaking. In his life, what symptoms of depression can you see?
3: Lack
1: of self-worth. Okay, so lack of self-worth. Yeah, he's literally degrading his value with his words. He's saying he's no, he's no good.
2: Very isolated. He's
1: a way Yep, he isolated himself. Anything else?
2: Um, could, because we get depression is like, sort of being you know, because you, you said take my life. It's not really your life. And of course
1: it is, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's got to Yeah, yeah. He he's actually he's pretty deep in depression. He's asking to die. And so sometimes when you're pretty depressed, you just want to die. And the truth is most depressed people never commit suicide. It's people who are coming out of depression. They just get just enough strength coming out of depression, and that's when most suicides happen. And we're not talking about suicide, um, but we do need to be aware that too much depression can make you feel like you want to end it. And That's a real thing. So if you're dealing with somebody who is depressed, be aware of that. If you are depressed, be aware of that. Right? That can take you to a place where you just feel like you want life to end. Okay, so now we're going to just follow his story for a minute. Uh, So in verses 5 and 6, we're going to see the kind of the first, like gradual, we're going to see gradual steps that begin to, uh, they're provided for him from these verses that follow. So look at 5 and 6 first. Anybody got it? We're all probably in 19 right now. 19, 5, and 6. All right, Tony, go ahead. Anybody down under the tree and fell
2: asleep? All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down
1: Okay, so what gradual corrective step was in those two verses? Okay, so he ate and by the way, that's a pretty healthy eating. So he ate healthy,
3: right?
1: Yep, so like self-care. You could probably lump it under self-care, I think. He so also
2: followed it because he didn't have to get up to eat. He kind of wanted to eat right now
1: right? He committed himself to take that step, right? He was told to take the step to eat, and he did. He got up and ate. So remember how we talked about overcoming depression kind of begins with a first step, a first action that you commit to? He got up and he ate. That's what 28 is saying there. Okay, go down to 10 to 14. 10 to 14. Here, I'll read it. And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, For the son of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, torn down thy altars, and killed thy prophet with a sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So he said, Go forth, and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains, and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a sound of a gentle blowing, and it came about when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave, and behold a voice came to him and said, "What are you doing here, Elijah?" And he said, "I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Son of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, torn down thy altars, and killed thy prophets and the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. so what step is what is he taking right there Okay, so it is seeking God. I don't think that's the one they're aiming at, but that's what he's doing. You're right. So it's a spiritual thing. Okay, he's talking it out. Yeah. So he, he in fact, if you notice, the first part is talking about how, how he's, he says, and he said, or he thought, basically you're thinking, he's thinking to himself, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Son of Israel, forsaken thy covenant, and so on. Right. And then he gets with God, and God says, what's wrong? And he says exactly the same thing. I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Son of Israel, forsaken thy covenant, torn down thine altars, and killed the prophets with a sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So basically he's expressing exactly what he's feeling. So if, you're, if bottled up emotions, if you do this math, bottled up emotions equals depression, and one of the things that stops that equation is exp- properly expressing those emotions, then seeking God and expressing those emotions to God Probably hand in hand are a great way to do it, right? You might not be able to tell somebody else; they might not even be available. They might be dead. They might be in another state. You might not have their number, or whatever. you might not be able to express them how you're feeling. But you can always talk to God, or you can write it out, or and he, he probably did both, because he's the only one there, right? So it's just him and God there. So he probably wrote later, wrote out exactly what happened, so that it could be carried forward to present day. So, okay, 15, 16. Buddy, okay. And the Lord said to him, "Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael, king over Aram, and Jehu the son. I now I see why you didn't want to read it now. And Jehu the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abemahola, Abimeh, you shall anoint as prophet in your place." Okay, so. What is this kind of like progressive constructive step that's happening here? God's telling him what to do. To
3: that.
1: Yeah. So he's yep. So he is actually he's ready to exercise a call to action. He's gonna go put a plan in place. Right? And really what he's doing is he's assigning some some faithful men named by God to those roles. It's gonna take some of the weight off. Um, but God said, this is what you're going to do, and he's going to do it. So it's a call to action. Um, And it could be, uh, I mean, you could say building relational life, even if we go back to the original thing, because he's going to know these guys once he ordains them into place, right? They're going to be his friends in, in ministry or in kingship. So you could say that too. Okay, and then 19. Go ahead. Just 19. Yep, just 19.
3: So he departed from there and found Elijah, the son of Shaphat while he was plowing with 20 pairs of ox before him, and he with the 20, or the 12. And Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him.
1: Okay. And so then what is 19? That progressive step. Now, he's kind of actually what? Carrying out the plan. He
3: willfully
1: out plan. Yep. So he willfully did it. He did it intentionally. I think that's the key word. Like key word. Yep. So, you know, sometimes I think about this. God wants us to do something. God gives us something to do. We're like, well, I don't need to do that. right? I don't see why that benefits me. I don't see why that benefits the other person. But sometimes your call to action from God is just for that. Just so that you can be obedient. So that you can answer the call to action for no other reason. Like, okay, it doesn't matter if I take the blue one or the red one. And God says, take the blue one. You're like, but it doesn't matter if I take the blue one or the red one. It's no, Why would God even care? Blue or red, who cares? God, God shouldn't care about that. And then you go, well, fine, I'll take it anyway. And you take the blue one just because... What difference, does it make any difference to you? Whatever, not out of obedience, not out of faithfulness to God, but just because, right? Because you, you, or or you're like, well, the last thing I saw was blue, so I'm going to take the blue one, like some kind of hokey sign or something, right? When God gives us something to do, sometimes it's specific and he wants you to do it. And it's part of your mental process, part of your emotional process, part of your psychology, part of your spiritual leading, right? There have been lots of times when God has given me little things to do and I'm like, that doesn't, I mean, it didn't make any sense like, there's no reason, no reason on earth that God could want me to do that it's not going to save me from a car accident later today it's not going to make me stronger in any way I just cannot fathom any reason why God wants me to wear a short sleeve shirt instead of a long sleeve shirt or whatever it might be and I was picking one particular example there but when I choose it now something happens All Right? I chose to do what God wanted me to do it's an expression of love toward the Lord if nothing else Okay, so Moses, David, and Jonah, yep, we've got four minutes. Moses, David, and Jonah also sometimes became depressed. We're going to look at quickly at the following passages. We'll, we, I think Jonah's kind of maybe a little self-explanatory. Whatever ones of these we don't get through, you can look at on your own. But the first one's in Numbers 11, uh, and it's verses 11, 10 to 15. Did anybody jump ahead and look those up already? I did not. Tommy, has got it? Go.
3: Now now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their family, each one at the entrance of his tent. and the anger of the Lord became very hot, and Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you been so hard in your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight, that you have put the burden on all of these people on me? Was it I who conceived all these people, or did I give birth to them? that you should carry that you should say to me carry them in your arms as nurses carry as a nurse carry a nursing infant to the land which you swore to your father where am I to get meat to give all this people for they weep before me saying give us meat so that we may eat I am not able to carry all this people by myself because it is too burdensome for me so if you are going to deal with me this way Please kill me now. If I have found favor in your sight, do not let me.
1: Okay. So while he was reading it, I was doing my best to keep up with him and write down the answers so we get through a little quicker. So who's the story about who became depressed? Moses, Moses right? And under what circumstances?
2: Well
1: yeah. So he too much. He thought he felt like too much responsibility. Too many people coming to him for answers, right? But but that but be careful because if he legitimately had too much responsibility, would he become depressed? That 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 doesn't cause depression, right? So we already talked about how that happens. Why was he depressed? Frustration, anger, frustration with the. Okay, so if it was frustration and anger, he's right now expressing his frustration and anger to God, right? So it's not unexpressed frustration and anger. When Moses said, he says to God, why do you put all this responsibility on me? What is he saying? He's saying, right? Say it again. Yeah, he's saying it's built up to be so much. Basically, he has a wrong understanding, wrong anxiety, right? So he's, he's upset that God is asking him to do the job that God is asking him to do as if God were wrong and saying, you're giving me too much responsibility, so his anxiety is, I'm going to crumble under this. That like God will never give you anything that you're going to crumble under. Right? He'll give you something and then he'll sustain you through that something. And sometimes it's pretty terrible what Christians have to go through. It is really bad. But the bottom line is, he has a wrong anxiety. Or if you remember back when we talked about uh, one of the causes of depression is um, self-worth issues and uh, where's anxiety at on my list here? Exaggerated anxiety. Okay? So he has exaggerated anxiety. Like he's got... What happens if Moses just doesn't go to work the next day? Did God's people suddenly become not God's people? Do they just all die in the desert? Like God just said, Oh, just brought you out here. You're all done. No. Right? Moses is going to work because it's what God wants him to do. So he's submitting to God. But he gets wrapped up in the anxiety of the fact that he thinks he's beyond his capabilities. Apparently that makes a noise even if you turn the volume off. Okay, so it's wrong anxiety or an under uh, exaggerated anxiety. And then how was he depressed? And I, I probably phrased that question poorly, but how badly or how was an example of his depression? He was terribly depressed, and he was asking that God would just kill him. Right? This let's end it. So we're we're going to finish on this one, and you can do the other two on your own. Uh, which I would strongly encourage you to do. But let's talk about the significance of this story to us. Does anybody in here, is there anybody in this room that feels like they have some pretty significant responsibilities in life? (laughs) My hand is way up. Okay, And if this story tells me, if I set a wrong standard for those responsibilities, or if I get anxious... Like, I want the outcome to be what I want it to be so bad. I'm so wrapped up in it like I, that, that my anxiety is out of control. I'm going to be depressed. That's what's going to happen. I'm going to wind up in depression. And so, that's the significance of that story. Moses, who's, I mean, as a man of God, Moses is a better man than I am. You know, but is he really because what did Paul say, or what did uh, Jesus say? He said that um, John the Baptist was the greatest man ever born of women. So that means John the Baptist is better than Moses, right? And then he said, "And greater is the least in the kingdom of God than John the Baptist." So actually, that means we're all better than Moses in some sense. And one thing, one way we can be better is we can have our eyes opened and our heart unleashed for God, and realize that if we set wrong standards. Or if we over-exaggerate our anxiety over something, uh, Ariana and I just had this conversation last night, and I didn't realize the providence of the Lord, the timing of the Lord, or whatever. But um, we're talking about how people. I told her. I, she said uh, people get really upset sometimes when they don't get their way, and I, we're talking about how somebody will go like, "Well." Teenagers, for example, will think, well, if my boyfriend breaks up to me, the world's over. Like, everything is over. I should just die. I can't stand it. You know, I'll never survive, right? Or you get a, the, the valedictorian gets a C, and it's like, oh, the world's over. It's all done. Right? It's all exaggerated anxiety. I didn't get the birthday present I wanted. Exaggerated anxiety. I don't have the money, but it's my birthday, and everybody knows you got to go out to eat on your birthday, but I really shouldn't do that. It's anxiety. It's exaggerate. we're living in a world of exaggerated anxiety where everybody takes everything to the umpth degree, right? So people aren't just like for the Democratic Party. They hate Republicans. Or for the Republican Party, they hate Democrats, right? Because they're exaggerating everything, right? You can't just be for one football team. You have to hate the rival football team. It's exaggerated anxiety. Everything is like that. And so the solution then to depression that we get out of that text is to go back to God, express what you're feeling, and let God show you what you're actually supposed to be doing and then just do that. And I would, I would say it this way. Just do that until, if what you're saying is actually true, you're exaggerating your anxiety, if it's really all that bad, then just do that until it kills you. Because in that way, you win. Right? You serve God until serving God kills you and then you go straight to heaven. Whereas if you let the exaggerated anxiety get out of control and stop you from serving God, then maybe you don't go to heaven because you say you're a Christian, but are you? Right? And so, and I'm not saying depression is an anti-Christian thing, or I made that mistake when I was a young Christian thinking that Christians can't be depressed. The reality is we all have depression at one time or another. Something goes wrong, we don't handle our feelings well, whatever, and we wind up depressed, Right? This is how you rise out of depression. Um, Basically, start with a committed action and a good committed action is to revitalize one's own spiritual plan, if you will. The therapy of Thanksgiving is a very good thing. Another action step involving is committing to a physical exercise plan, eat right, exercise. And then that replaces the endorphins that are lacking in a depressed person. It's also important to build a relational life, get out, meet people, talk, share, develop friendships. And then finally a lifestyle of ministry helps in the recovery process. As you serve other people at a practical level at least once a week, you'll learn like how to think of your actions as God's actions, as God's working through you and you'll bounce and you'll come out of it. And you'll be less self preoccupied. There's a lot of preoccupation we're filling our days just thinking we're just going to get by. I, I just can't feel good, so I'm just going to watch more TV and not think about it, right? Or And that's how people get into drugs and alcohol because it helps numb the pain and all that kind of stuff. You don't need to do any of that. There is a way, and it's about. it really is about caring for other people at the same time that you're caring for yourself, okay? So Jonah, I'm not, we're not going to go read it. Obviously, Jonah gets very depressed. He also is begging God that he should just die at the very end, and he also has some... Some interesting emotions that lead into that place. So I highly recommend you read that story. It's all about a plant and a worm. It all comes down to a plant and a worm in the end. And then Psalm 32. Uh, if you want to take a chance to read that, there's a very interesting set of circumstances in there. So I'm going to pray for you briefly. Uh, and we do have uh, snack cakes and, and punch in the cafeteria. So we'll have a little time of fellowship, hangout, um, and uh, you know. A little chocolate in there. So if you need a little endorphins, a little chocolate.
3: Have a little chocolate.
1: Father in heaven, thank you so much for the simplicity. Uh, so we know sometimes we make following Jesus uh, a grand affair. It's got to be about everything. Got to be about everything I do and every choice I make. And I want to be storing up treasure for myself in heaven, not on earth. And I want to give give God every penny, every dollar, every moment of every day. And all that's kind of like Grand language. It is the goal. It's what we should do and it's what we should be and after we die and go to be with you it's what it'll be like. It's all going to be between us and you for an eternity and it's going to be awesome. But we're a work in progress now and that means sometimes we get depressed. We struggle. It's hard not to be sad when we when somebody dies or when a relationship falls apart or when we don't have the things that we think we need. And then especially when Uh, We exaggerate our anxiety over something like, oh man, if this happens, this is the end of the world, but it's not the end of the world. The end of the world isn't coming until the end of the world comes. And so there are people who have filed bankruptcy five times and wound up millionaires. People who closed the doors of their dream business, thought they were going to build every, they spent their whole life trying to build something and they built it and then it all fell apart and they had to start over again. People who came home and their loved one turns out that they were betraying them the whole time. They were terribly betrayed. And yet then they they made it through that and they developed good, healthy relationships after that. And it doesn't matter how bad it gets. It matters that we keep on faithfully searching for you, serving you, letting you work through us, overcoming day after day after day. And we're still here, which means you've got an awesome plan for every person that's in this room. Some are young, so they got a lot of time for the plan to develop. Some are older, so not so much time for the plan to develop. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for desiring the great things that you can do through us. And we commit ourselves to kind of be available, take the first action steps, and do the right thing. And when we find ourselves depressed, because we will, when we find ourselves depressed, take the right steps with you to get out
0: of it. We praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you very much.